Today, we sat down with Leslie Bryans from Pinehurst Preservation Guild. Um, I met Leslie, gosh, last spring and called her Melissa the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, uh, my Which we talk Melissa. about. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad funny. she told you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Some people just let it go. I did that in college once. I called this girl Sarah for like a whole year. And then at the very end of the year, she was like, my name's not Sarah. And uh, I was like, she well, finally got the courage to tell you. Yeah. But then I was embarrassed. Of course. I was like, I wish you would have told me at the beginning. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, boy. So funny. But I love what Leslie's doing. Um, you know, the history of a community is what makes the community. And that's her whole mission is preserving that history. Yeah. And if you are local then you know how incredible Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Carthage, Cameron, all of these areas are. And we take them for granted so often when we walk downtown Pinehurst and it's quaint, it's beautiful. It's like, I think she says something like, our real life Gilmore girls. <laughs> right, right. And we take it for granted that we just live here and this is the way that it is. But the underlying current is that that could all go away if it wasn't for nonprofits like hers that have the mission to preserve this beautiful area and all the history within it. Right. And if you're not local, look for those <laughs> nonprofits to help support in your area because there's so many little towns that have the coolest history and coolest historic mm -hmm. buildings. And that's one of the things Brandon and I like to do when we travel is like find the random little things that nobody knows about. Yeah. We did that in London because, you know, clearly that's a very historical place, but also very overbuilt now mm -hmm. and we found some like old old cathedral when we were walking around and like we went inside it's totally abandoned there's like vines growing all over oh, wow. the place but they have little plaques like talking about it and it's just those fun little treasures to find so I love that she's um, working hard to preserve that within our community and think it's something that needs to spread all around our country yeah. um, and make sure you preserve that. It can be frustrating owning a historical building. I was going to say, so you are an owner of a historical building in downtown Southern Mines. Right. And I do think there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it and the right things to focus on. But I'm trying to put in a new door for our box office and it's like so many rules mm. and restrictions mm -hmm. and it's so hard um, to balance that and so expensive, which is what her nonprofit helps with is um, helping get the funding to preserve those places properly. Have you reached out to her? No, not about this. Okay. I just got a phone call yesterday <laughs> about these doors and I'm like, Oh, I could buy a car <laughs> for the price of these doors. Oh, Yeah. So, um, and you know, they also give a lot of great education about tax credits and yeah. all of those things and have different meetings to educate people in the community about benefits of preserving the history and not just the aesthetics. Yeah. So enjoy Leslie. I'm Sarah. I'm Caitlin. Two women discussing all things in business. Welcome to She's, She's the, the Boss. Boss. So, Kara, 
told you she should you should reach out to us yes she did and all good things i'm sure yeah. well she was <laughs> used to be on our board so she yeah was i was like this say. is gonna be great for for the ppg and just that um getting the information out about our organization but then also just anybody who's interested in old buildings and non running a nonprofit and the challenges associated with that so yeah i can remember her several times talking about what you guys do and mm-hmm. all of that. But then I was looking at the website and I didn't see your face and I was like, Oh, there must've been a, a board changeover. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what happens with nonprofits is you have a board that, um, kind of help guide you and then they have their term limits or they, you know, it's, it's rotating and that's healthy for the organization. So that's pretty much how any nonprofit set up. So, mm-hmm. yep. so before we get dive into what you're currently doing, tell us about your background and yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Virginia Beach and um, I went to school in Northern Virginia and got a degree in historic preservation because I've always loved old buildings. Didn't grow up that far from Williamsburg. So that kind of fed into that. And um, while I was at school and um, undergrad, I thought, you know, I really want to know how these old buildings are built. Like, why were they designed this way? Or how can we continue to understand how these buildings are built? So I looked at, and I worked for an architecture firm after graduation. So I ended up applying to architecture school and went to a- Texas A&M for architecture school, focusing in historic architecture. Um, and met my husband while I was there. He was not a student. He was had just got back from Iraq. And we met at a wedding. And um, I gave him the wrong phone number. <laughs> and <laughs> he was able to track me down. and Because um, I was in the wedding party, and he was a... Um, a guest of the bride and so were you just not into it or what i kind of (laughs) (laughs) there's a little bit more about that but he um he kind of the way he introduced himself i was like no nope this Mm -hmm. is not happening and i was in the middle of a really intense program Mm -hmm. um i had just only started a year and a half earlier and when you don't have an undergraduate in architecture school and you go to get a master's they shove you into something called a career change program where they stuff four years of undergrad architecture into one year and then they tack two years on with the master's and so you essentially go for a year and a summer like a semester and a summer where they just shove all this they pretty much tell you forget everything that you learned in undergrad and now you're going to learn something totally different Hmm. so sounds um, intense (laughs) Yeah, I slept a lot in that. Any architecture student or anybody who has an architecture degree will tell you that they pretty much slept more at their studio than they did at their actual home Mm. (laughs) during their studies or their dorm. Um, But yeah, so I met him and he, you know, called, found my number, the right one, and uh, called me. And then the next thing you know, he was inviting me to, he was stationed at Fort Knox at the time. And so I would go up and he would come he would come visit me. Um, he would th- then would take a 10 hour drive and drive from when he was stationed at, uh, for captain's course up at, um, Fort Leonard Wood. He would d- drive 10 hours for like a weekend and then turn around and go back. And so, Whew. yeah, so it was, he liked you. Yeah. So the next yeah. thing, you know, we, I graduated from architecture school. Um, and, uh, got that was in May and then we got married in September and moved to New Orleans and lived there for two years and then moved to Germany and then ended up here so (laughs) yeah so you spent all of this time Mm -hmm. in school Mm -hmm. and 
then you married into the military. Yep. And most of us listening know what that's like, but there's probably a lot of people who aren't in this lifestyle that don't know what it's like. So can you talk about that journey and just how you had to go from probably having some of these dreams to being whisked away? <laughs> yeah, I pretty much had, I knew exactly what I was going to do right after graduation. I actually had a job offer from my dream architecture firm back home in Virginia and I had to turn them down because I was getting ready to move to New Orleans and get married. Um, and I, it was really, you kind of have to have, it's, it's an identity crisis because you've wrapped yourself up. You have this, this whole idea of what you want to do, but then life throws curveballs, and that's just how things are. Um, so what we were able to do was, you know, we had kind of a sit down and when we were dating and it was just like this, you're going, it was essentially, you're going to have, the ability to go on an adventure every three years, if you think about it. Of course, things if have you're a glass a half full, type if you're of a glass, person. and I'm, I'm a realist, not uh -huh. an optimist. Okay. So, um, but you kind of have to, and and hey, there would have been no other way, really, that we've ever been able to live for two years in New Orleans, and like, what better place? as two newlyweds with no kids to be stationed. So mm -hmm. fun. Pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And then we got moved over to Germany for three years and we got to discover 12, I went to 12 different countries in the course of three years. Um, and so it wasn't career related. It was more, okay, I'm going to have to put things on pause. But at the same time, I was kind of burnt out from architecture school. And so I said, oh, okay, this time in, in New Orleans, I'll take a little bit of time to just kind of, you know, chill out and maybe I can start doing my, um, cause you have to start sitting, you have to become an intern and then you sit for your ARE exams and those take roughly, there's like eight of them. And then after that you become a registered architect and you can practice as an architect. Okay. But you usually have to be with a firm during that time. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll take a little bit of a break. And then once we're done with new Orleans or near the end of our time in new Orleans, I'll, I'll start looking at, you know, uh, cause we're only gonna be here for two years. So let's, I'll look at an internship after I get, after we're done with new Orleans. Well, then we move to Germany and you can't do that. So, <laughs> so things really got put on hold. So, um, unfortunately do you, think you were like fully wrapping your head around what that meant. Because for me, I think back so often, I think back to when we left San Diego and like, I was just like, oh, we're moving to Southern Alabama. Yeah. But I didn't think like, oh, I'm never coming back here. Mm -hmm. I just, and I don't know if that was denial or I just like didn't fully understand the scope of what was happening, but I'm curious. That's a little bit of it is yeah. you just kind of don't think about it because you're like, okay, well, this is what, where, what's happening. Okay. How do I compartmentalize this? How can I adjust my expectations. So, um, and you really have to maybe be a little bit more of a chameleon in that and say, okay, I've got this skill set. It's not exactly what I thought it was going to be, but how can I mold it to be something that's going to work for where we are in this time in life? And I actually look back now that was 10, 10 plus years ago. So, oh my gosh, 12 years ago. I'm a totally different person now than I was 12 years ago. I've right. got two kids. I mean, it's, it's insane. And so we, I'm just thinking about the fact that I had to look at the skill set and say, I'm moving to a different country. I have this certain set of skills. What can I do that will work here? Cause you can't work on the economy in Germany. Um, and I had like a unrelated job when I lived in new Orleans again, put a pause for a little bit of time. And then, so what I did was I ended up going into graphic design. I designed my wedding invitations and thought, oh, you know, I can do 
graphic design for anything. No, there's a lot of learning with that. <laughs> so I essentially went into graphic design and branding for 10 years because I could do that no matter where we lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And design is design is design. So that's what I was able to do when I lived in Germany. I was able to work for the garrison doing web design, which had zero background in, but with graphic design, you can kind of adjust that. And then, um, when I was working with the first nonprofit that I helped co-found, I did all their graphic design and branding. So that was something that I was just very like, okay, well, this is something that can be moved with me. Um, I can learn a lot on the go. I didn't have to go to school for it. I had a lot of basic skill set that I was able to apply to it. So that's how I was able to really take, um, my undergrad and adapt or my, my architecture degree and adapt it. Um, and I was able to do a lot of work. Um, and I was able to have a job when we lived in Germany, which was huge. So yeah. we hear, uh, we hear about this a lot from a lot of our guests on. It's like, they we're all kind of on this path of what we think we're going to do with our lives. And the army's like, ha ha ha, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh. No. So yeah, like I, I mean, I got married before my senior year of college and everyone's like, why not just finish it out? And I'm like, because I love him and I want to be with him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, but yeah, so then we, you know, we were in Colorado and I was working for Aveda in Charlotte. So I found an Aveda place out there and worked and then went back to school and only had three credit hours left and he got transferred again. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, only three credit hours. Oh no, you can't graduate from a college and only take three credit hours from them. Mm -hmm. You have to take or 30 credit hours. So that's how I ended up graduating with a double major because they want to make sure they get their money's worth Mm -hmm. if their name is going to be on your diploma and that they've actually been the ones to train you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's amazing how all of these, military spouses we've talked to are just so resilient and can just like pivot and be like, okay, well now I guess I'm going to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and just use what you have from the past and just kind of reroute it to, to what, what works for you and your family in the time. And knowing what you're good at and what fulfills that need of creativity and like building something and watching this thing come to life, you know, from mm-hmm. start to finish versus just hanging out and waiting for the next thing to happen for you to be able to do the thing you thought you were going to do, you know, like I'll wait until we move to blah, blah, blah and get quote settled, you know, there's no settling. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's no settling in the army. Did you think that after the military, I don't know if your husband is still in that you would go back home. Cause I thought that I thought, Oh, once he retires, we'll go back Mm -hmm. home. Like I always assumed we would go back home and our family is still like, you're not coming back home now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like no. we have no desire to go back there. Yeah. No, we had an agreement of neutral ground from here. I would never put pressure him to move to Virginia and he would never pressure me to move to Alabama. So um, that was kind of an agreement that we had very early on. So we know. And, and what's been really interesting is we've kind of been in a holding pattern with Fort Liberty and Moore County is that we've thought we've would be moving here after three years. We thought we'd be moving here three years later. We thought here we'd be moving three years later and we've been here. We moved here in 2014 and we have been here ever since. And he's still active duty. And we just found out actually last Friday, we found out that we are here for another two years. So, and he will be past 20 at that point because he got another battalion command. So it's, it's, we, we didn't know. We knew we didn't know that it was going to be here. Um, but we're, we were very excited that we don't have to pick up and move again. Mm-hmm. So, cause even though we've 
been here for for since 2014 we've moved once since then because we moved we moved a year and a half ago so um yeah so it's just like i really don't want to move to moore county oh no 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 so we've been here in moore county but we moved from southern pines to aberdeen so we were in southern pines for my gosh 10 nine years and then we moved to aberdeen because we needed a little bit more space and you guys are totally restoring like a 1950s property or yes. something? So yeah. we moved. We were in a 1910 in downtown uh, Southern Pines that we loved. Absolutely loved it. But it was very vertical. Um, and when you have two kids, and at the time we had a 90-pound dog, very hard to – and we were on a quarter of an acre. It was just – we were tripping over each other. So we started this search for – we had kind of been thinking about it about a year earlier and started that stock was not very high in what we wanted. And this house, which had come up, been on the market a year before in, with like six acres, um, we had seen it. We're, we didn't visit it, but I'd seen the listing and was like, okay, this is an interesting house, but it's not the time. After my youngest daughter was born, we really seriously started looking for a new house. We found this house. It came back on the market with just an acre because someone had purchased it and was dividing up the land, but they kept the house and they had really not done much to the home other than kind of you know, do some cosmetic stuff and they ripped the carpet up. Thank God. <laughs> Cause it was, it was wall to wall carpet in the bathrooms and the kitchen. Oh. And thankfully they, they pulled that up, but we're still having to. Why was that even an idea? Why was that a thing? I don't know. I think I, it makes no logical sense. I mean, it's from your, when you're talking about your actual flooring of like your living room and your dining room and stuff, Florida water wall carpeting actually protected a lot of that. So mm-hmm. us now pulling all this carpet up, we're going, yes, we got these pristine, beautiful floors because, you know, Betty wanted Florida wall to wall carpeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just cause it was the style. It was the style, <laughs> but then now, but extending it into the kitchen and the bathrooms, that I'm like, that is a step too, too far. far. Gross. Way like, too far. I know. Mildew. Ugh, ugh, yeah. <laughs> no. And I've, I've seen like try and potty train a boy. With carpet floors. Oh, Gross. I, yeah. disgusting. Yeah. I'm like, there's a tiles there for a reason. Yes. Let's, yes. Let's use that. But yeah. yeah, no, the stuff that I've seen in that have stuff has been done to some of these houses. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, why? why? So it's not six acres anymore. It's smaller. It's one acre. One mm-hmm. acre, but the house. But we have the house and the house is great because it's just, it's, it looks small on the outside, but it is a nice big, it's, it's really great on the interior we just have a lot to work with which is neat and it was it was a little it's not wasn't my style to begin with I was much happier and could easily adapt my style preference to more of an early 1900s home like pre-1940 um this one has a lot of wood paneling a lot of it um and I'm really having to adapt my design preferences to that because we just consider ourselves a steward of this home we're only the second real owners. So in our mind, you know, the the Robbins family, which they have an amazing history as well, that family who built the home and raised four children there. And um, Jean passed away in there at 101. Wow. In 2020. Yeah. And so, and her husband, JC, died in like 96. But um, he, it, we just consider ourselves stewards. So we're trying to do things that are going to continue to keep this house in the condi- in, in a really wonderful condition so that when it's time for us at some point, 
hopefully not anytime soon because we consider this our forever home. But um, when it's time to go to the next family that they look at and they go, this has been really well maintained. It's, it's, um, and it's not trendy. It's very, we try to listen to the house when we try to do work to it. So, which is what I do with, I work with any historic property, but yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask about that, just kind of like the perspective that you view it through. Yeah. You kind of have to stick, take your personal in the moment desires and say, okay, long-term what's going to be done to this house that is going to look good in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years. And it's kind of hard to think about that because you look, we, we look at everything from a Pinterest or HGTV mm-hmm. view. And that's very, done on purpose to make it so that it looks good for right now, yes. right here, right now. But there's stuff that was even two years ago that you see that you're just like, oh my gosh, why did people do that? Well, that was the thing. I noticed myself doing that. Mm-hmm. This house is like five years old. Mm-hmm. And there are things like, oh, I could totally switch out those um, lights now. Like <laughs> stuff that I like better. And that's not really in anymore. Yeah. You know, it's so consume, consume, consume. And we really have to be mindful because it's not like we're roll. <laughs> it's not like we're rolling in dough. Like, let's be honest. So when we make these changes, you know, we need to be sure that what we're doing is our, our buck is going to go the farthest. So investing in less cosmetic, more, okay, we've got to, you know, the plumbing needs to be completely redone. We've got mm-hmm. awesome like copper piping, but the soldering's going on it. So instead like that is that is a conscious choice to take that and change it out for packs. Um, and then there's also a lot of, um, you know, we, we spent money on a new roof and we spent money on um, we're going to be getting new um, uh, like hot water heater and stuff like that. It's not pretty, but this is the stuff right. that we need to do. We also we have plans on the books, hopefully soon to be redoing our bathrooms because the bathrooms are there wasn't anything under the carpet oh, in the bathrooms, like subfloor. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> right now there's LVP on it, which is not appropriate for the house. So we're going to be taking that out, but we're going to be doing a major overhaul with the primary bath. And with that, we're going, okay, let's spend our money on things that like the actual structure of this to make sure that it's, it's going to be sound for the next 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, rather than just, you know, making it look really pretty on the exterior or up for what we see, Mm -hmm. you know, we got to spend money more on the structure of the building of the, um, of that area. So, cause you know, there's gonna be water damage behind (laughs) anything in a bathroom that's 75 years old or something. Isn't that crazy? I was just thinking like, Oh, 1950s, not that long ago. No, No, that was like 70 Plus years. Yeah, plus years ago, depending on when <laughs> it was built. Like, yeah, 1950. 1951 is when the house was built. Okay. Because it's the same age as my dad. 72 years so ago. So he, yeah. I have to joke to him about that. I was like, dad, it's historic. Yeah. He's like, wait, what? I was like, well, anything <laughs> over 50 years can be considered historic, but I just had to laugh at my dad. Yeah, it was kind of a long time it's ago. old at as this you point. are. So. Yeah, I guess because if our parents are born in the 50s, you think, oh, that's not long ago. But yeah, if they're in. Mm-hmm. 72 years that was like mm-hmm. a meme I saw recently and they were talking about something about the year like 1990 and how 
old you feel you when mean you 10 think years about. ago yeah right right yeah that's, right. that's, I that's think what that i'm thinking yeah. <laughs> i can't remember exactly what it says but something like that and i'm like oh man i am old yeah no <laughs> oh, i i just turned 40 this year and was like oh my gosh you too me too yeah. yay hey, <laughs> babies. Love it. um i'll always be younger than my husband though always be younger than <laughs> yeah um i know my daughter's four and i'll tell her um you know you're my favorite four-year-old just as a joke and she the other day was like you're my favorite 40 year old and i was like oh no yeah (laughs) she's picking up on it she She gets uh, it yeah 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 yeah. so so when you're renovating a historical home you're obviously going to keep the mid-century architecture right when you're redoing a bathroom it's not going to be this modern bathroom no so what you try to do is you look at things called their character defining features so things such as your tile work like if you've got original tile and pink bathrooms are coming back y'all pink bathrooms blue bathrooms Kohler just came back with came out with new colored bath fixtures lines like your grandma's bathroom is back in style again mm-hmm. um and so that's a character defining feature for a house because it helps someone like me who's has an architectural history background, preservation background, be able to date a home. Um, and so we're able to, that that's the things that we look at. So um, light fixtures now, granted, if your light fixtures are, are on the frets, like let's, let's, and to be honest, a lot of people who have homes that are from like 1920 and earlier, you don't have your original light fixtures. Usually they've been ripped out and put in with something else. So if you're going to do something new, try to find something that's sympathetic with that time. It's modern, but has some similar features to what might have been there originally. Um, we have a kitchen right now that is, the kitchen was not great in the house when we first, when it actually went on the set, went for on the market originally. Um, and so we kind of have a blank slate for that. So we have a good enough for now kitchen, but we have plans for something that's going to be a little bit more um, sympathetic to the house, but isn't what was there in 1951, because what was there in 1951 wasn't great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very cognizant of that. But like the swinging door that goes between the kitchen mm-hmm. and the dining room, we're going to keep that. It's not going to be in the same spot, but we're going to keep it in the house because it's so cool. It has like yeah. a little square window and it's it's really neat. Um, you know, my grandma had one of those. Yeah. It's (laughs) so neat. And then, um, you know, I'm in the process of rehabbing all the windows on the house because they'll last a whole heck of a lot longer than anything you can get new these days. Um, and so we're, we're really just being cognizant that, um, you know, we're not painting any of the woodwork or of the, the wood walls that I was talking about, not painting any of those. We're keeping it because unpainted wood is coming back also. So, um, but a general rule of thumb is when you have an old home, so historic is technically over 50 years old. Um, try to look, first of all, I I suggest people live in their house for about a year. If it's safe to live in, live in it, get a feel for your home, kind of just get in the groove and be like, okay, I like this about this space. I don't like this about this space because when you visit a home, when it's a on the listing or whatever, you have a different feel than when you're in it for a year and you really understand the flow a little bit better. You kind of understand why people made design decisions. Um, you decide whether you really like having walls or not having walls. And you know, I'm one of those people that like having walls in my house. Um, but that, that's my number one rule of thumb is your house is safe enough to live in for a year, live in it for a year and get a, get a good vibe for it and then make your really, um, 
decisive design decisions then. So we've always wanted to get like a historic home and like preserve it, which I mean, I did for my business. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've always wanted to do that. And we, every time the Facebook page posts like an old house, I like click on it and I'm like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's so hard to think about doing that with kids because a lot of them don't have plumbing or don't have mm-hmm. electrical. So you have to have the finances to be able to like buy it without selling your current house so that you can get it livable Mm. before you preserve it but that old house in was it in cameron or carthage that they just tore down yes that was miss bell's tea room yep we looked at that the 16 acres that's the one with the 16 acres long time ago you looked at that long time ago oh my gosh okay yeah before it okay so we looked at it when it was 16 acres it was only one hundred and twenty nine thousand dollars. i remember and i like kick myself all the time but it it was just it was gosh what eight years ago probably because I think I was pregnant with Austin or we were trying or something like that and I was like I just don't know if that would be good to do with a baby and you don't know what like you're getting lead or (laughs) like all these things that you don't know that you don't know yeah I mean I've got two under four so I'm we're right in the thick of it and I get it and I have a lot of friends that have really young children and they are in active rehab situations with their houses. And mm-hmm. so um, it can be done. It's just your comfort level has to be there because if you are going to dive into a massive project, like that would have been a massive project. But right. eight years ago, it was probably in better condition than it was when it was taken down in June. But um, I, it, it's, it, it can be done. You just have to, you have to understand your comfort levels and your knowledge levels. I think that's another big thing is people – there's such a romanticization of old homes where people think, oh my gosh, I can do this and I can, you know, I can live in a trailer and do this on the side or, you know, while the work's being done or we'll live in it. And you don't understand that when you start opening up walls, things happen. And there's a lot of stuff that you don't know about when you open your walls. Now, these homes have been around for a hundred plus years. So, you know, the house isn't going to follow down around you, but you have to live in a certain level of chaos and you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And expectation management. <laughs> yes. And not a lot of people are into that. So not and owning a historic home is not for everyone. So, mm-hmm. um, which is okay. Totally fine. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. They're unrelated to each other, but <clears throat> you know, I'm like fast forwarding a hundred years, somebody who's rehabbed a house from 1950 and now you're going to put modern amenities mm-hmm. in it that someone will know were not put in the 50s right and so does it become like this kind of confusing thing of figuring out these historical homes or can you do we have that yet like do we have yeah, this has been done for centuries. So you've got houses that were federal style that in the um, so that were done in the federal style early 1800s that were in the Victorian area. They slapped gingerbread on the front of it, and that's part of the design. That's the evolution of the home. Mm-hmm. So that's actually something we encourage whenever we're working with a historic property owner. Um, that if you're going to do like a new addition or you're going to do anything like that make it obvious that it is not original to the home, Got it. but okay. make it so that it is sympathetic to the home. So it's scale, 
materials, um, the rhythm of the building. That's what we try to suggest to people and what is encouraged by preservationists and architectural um, uh, preservation architects um, to be done to a home. So you don't want to copy exactly what it is because it actually will, it, you're essentially trying to, to, you don't, you don't want to, to, um, fool the viewer or fuel, fuel or view, oh my gosh, <laughs> fool someone, you know, 50 years in the future, hundred years in the future to thinking that it's original. They won't because it won't be made out of the original right, the lumber. It won't be sure. made out of long growth, um, old growth wood, but you know, it's just one of those things that you, as a general rule, you want to be sympathetic to, but not try to copy exactly what was done. Yeah. So. And we haven't covered what you actually do. So if you're <laughs> yeah, saying we, people are probably like, what is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. So before we turn the recording on, we, you mentioned you started two not you've started two nonprofits yes. now. So talk about those nonprofits <laughs> so that everyone knows. Totally unrelated who you are. nonprofits at that. So when we lived in Germany, let's backtrack. Lived in Germany, <laughs> um, we had no myself and the other uh, members of the public affairs office at the garrison that we lived at, we worked at, um, we noticed that there was a, a real lack of support by the military when it came to health and wellness for military spouses. And so we got together the six, I think it was six of us. Yeah. The six of us got together and we created the nonprofit independent, which if you're a military spouse, they put on the military spouse. Now it's called the independent wellness summit, but it used to be the military spouse wellness summit. And it was, um, before virtual was a thing that we made it so that we would have a week of, uh, speakers on health and wellness for military spouses and the unique challenges associated with that. And we would put it together because our entire team was spread all over the, the globe at that time. Um, we weren't all in Germany forever. And so we created this program that happens once and it's still going on now. I think we have, I think it's the 10th one this year, but, um, I was part of that for a very long time. Um, and I'm a co-founder and did all the branding and social media for that organization back in the day. But it was, we really, we were a fiscally sponsored nonprofit. So we understood, we came at it from a different way where we found a nonprofit that specifically took little programs like ours under their wing. And we were able to use mm -hmm. all of their, you know, their EIN, their tax um, IRS number and stuff like that. But we were autonomous. We were able to make our own decisions. We were able to do our own programming. We were able to um, have our own. We didn't have board members because your board, when you're a fiscally sponsored nonprofit, your board is the board of the sponsor. But we were able to have our own team. We were really independent uh, from the, mm -hmm. um, the fiscal sponsor. But then uh, in 20, I think it was 2014, they were uh, independent, became its own individual nonprofit. So um, organization. So they are on their own now, which is really neat. But and you stepped away from it. I did because we just had a lot going on and um, that just, it, it was kind of taking its own, um, its own path. There were other people that wanted to be involved in it. And it was one of those times I was like, I'm just, I'm going to step away because I think there are other people that are going to be better going forward. Was with that this. hard? It was hard, but it was time. Like, you know, a lot of our, some of our other teammates had stepped away as well just because of the time commitments. Because um, running a nonprofit is really tiring. It's very yeah. exhausting. You don't get paid. <laughs> so it's not like you're getting financial compensation for all the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it is 
really easy to get burnt out. And so that was one of the reasons that it was time. And it's, it's a good thing because it brought some new blood into that organization. Um, and it was right during the time when we were transferring from a fiscal sponsorship to a actual independent nonprofit. So, so it's probably going to end up taking even more time than it was already. Oh, taking. Yeah. 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 So it was, um, it, it was a good time for the transition to happen. So, and I think there's only, there's only one member that is part of that original group that's still mm-hmm. on the team. Um, I believe so, but it's been one of those things where that group of six just went off and we've all done amazing, totally unrelated things. Yeah. <laughs> so, so but. talk about what you're doing. Well, now. I just have a question really quick yeah, about, sure. um, kind of their mission and, and, you know, you said you were a co-founder. Yeah. So what was really like the passion for you behind that? What were you seeing? What were you wis- witnessing? What were you going through that was like, we need to do something about this. I had a major issues when we first moved to Germany because of how isolating it was. Mm. Um, and saw a need for finding support for a really isolating life, which is military life. Whether you are at a remote situation like we, I was, or if you were at someplace like Fort Liberty, it can still be extremely isolating no matter what you're, where you're living because military spouse life and military life is you're just supposed to pick up and move and get back like that. And there's stuff you don't know. Like, yeah. you know, growing up, I grew up in North Carolina and moving to Colorado. I'm like, these people are not nice. <laughs> like, that's how I felt when I first mm-hmm. got there. Yeah. And I felt like I felt like I didn't fit in with any of the mm-hmm. other military spouses. They were all like, yeah, we're going to start having babies and just be stay at home moms. I'm like, no, I got to finish my degree mm-hmm. and I've got goals and I've got this. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't fit in. And I, had that feeling that people in Colorado weren't nice because I'm used to you walk past people and you say hi even if you're a complete stranger right (laughs) on the street and in the grocery store you say hi to everybody even if you don't know Mm -hmm. them and that's what I was used to and in Colorado it's like not like that at all they don't care if you run off the highway they're not going to let you in if you're trying to merge on the highway (laughs) and I was like this is a huge change for me and of course as soon as we get there and get married my husband deploys so I'm out there by myself so I totally get what you're saying which by the way no offense to Colorado people because I found out (laughs) that once you get to know them they will be your lifelong most trustworthy Yeah, just like anywhere, of course. Yeah, they just they're just not gonna say hi to you on the street. It doesn't mean they don't like you, it's just they don't know you. So why would they say hi? But once they get to know you, they're have never been to Colorado, so I can't even speak to that. But now you are prepared now. Nobody prepared me. You're welcome. There you go. There you go. (laughs) There's this whole identity crisis that you go through when you move to a new place as a military spouse and then you start seeing what the surrounding people are doing, right? I went through the same thing where a lot of stay-at-home moms, people were having babies. At that point, I worked for Tony Robbins from home Mm -hmm. and I had a really great trajectory for my career. But then I was like, wait, all these women are like hanging out during the day. We're going out to lunch. They're great conversation. You know, I was like, I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this what we do in this mm. community? Cause it was my first experience of moving outside of, I was born and raised in San Diego and Luke was in the Navy. And so I just hung out with all my regular friends, you know, while we lived there. Mm-hmm. And then we were transported to Dothan, Alabama. <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever lived anywhere else. Uh-huh. And, 
pleasantly surprised with the South being so friendly. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but yeah, you start to like see what's going on around you and you're like, do I, do I fit in with this? Do I not? Am I allowed mm-hmm. to have dreams, goals? You know, where do I fit in and how do I matter in this whole situation? Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, we can all <laughs> yeah. relate to it. And at the time I didn't have kids, but it be, you now I know, um, it becomes even more stressful because you're expected to, oh, I have to have new friends if I'm going to have new friends. So it's got to be the, the the parents of my kids' friends. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't always jive. So, And I'm not sure that changes even as your I kids know, get older. I know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> with this, the organization, and we, so we saw there being um, a real, a real inability for spouses to find um, health support, whether it is mental or physical because there's a big push. Oh, go, go to the gym, go work out. Yeah. But there's no childcare. What am I supposed to do? Or Mm. maybe it looks, your physical fitness looks different for everybody. Mental health looks different for everyone. So we really tried to create a space that was open for everyone and accessible to everyone, no matter where you lived or what, um, time you were in your life, whether you didn't have kids, had kids, um, your kids are out of the house, um, or your retired military. That's also a huge, um, change when it comes to your lifestyle. So that's what independent aimed to do. They also, um, wanted to empower military spouses when it came to, um, like food security and having access to food. So they work right now on trying to get rid of food deserts for military families. Cause that's actually a really, a very real thing, especially if you live on post, um, in a lot of places. So that's what independent does. It and blows my <laughs> mind. Yeah. I'm sorry, but the PX or what is it? It's the, um, commissary. The com- no, the, what is the gas station? Oh, base. Shop it. Yeah. The shop. Yeah. Ed. Shop like, ed is not a food store sorry like yeah <laughs> but it was sometimes the only place that was available especially on like weekends or what yeah. when we lived in europe because mm-hmm. the commissary would close on sundays or yeah. close on mondays and you'd be like okay well where's this where's a you know a young mom gonna get food run out and get diapers food that sort of thing um that's healthy and that's the other thing is you can get anything at the shop head if you want for like a microwave but it's not going to be the healthiest option so that's they wanted to bring awareness and the the to be honest they were doing the work that the military should have been doing mm-hmm. but that's what this organization does um and they are they're doing an amazing job and we it's their 10 year anniversary this year so it's like a different lifetime it's pretty crazy yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you guys did well, we did the military spouse wellness summit we tried to do um base focused groups so it'd be like groups that you would get together with at your base that was a whole heck of a lot more stress than it it was at the time um because there was drama or what oh no 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 just because it was exhausting to have to um kind of moderate all these different bases think of all the bases i think we had at one point we had like 15 bases so trying to find somebody who's going to volunteer to like be the lead for that and then if your lead leaves from one it's like your own little frg Who's volunteering? Please, exactly, someone. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the that's a nonprofit's struggle all the time is finding yeah. nonprofits or finding volunteers. Sure. Um, but this is because we would have a Facebook group for each of those base. It was it was just a lot, and when you have a very small, um, like work group that's kind of um, 
not not a board because we didn't have a board at the time, but when you have like, you know, the people who are actually doing the work trying to organize all of it, it just was exhausting. So we did not um, continue with that program because it was it was a lot. So, but th- the biggest thing has been the Spouse Wellness Summit because they've brought in speakers on health and wellness. This past year, I think their one was on parenting, which was pretty cool. So, but it wasn't just for current parents; it was for former parents, people who are looking to become parents. It was geared towards everyone because there's specific challenges that happen with all of those. But they bring in speakers that have nothing to do with the military. It's just they're going to be able to talk about things that maybe a military audience wouldn't have heard before. Mm -hmm. So that's what was kind of neat about what they've done this past year for that as an example. Um, And they also have ongoing educational opportunities through, um, I wouldn't say retreats, but actually they were planning a retreat before COVID happened. I remember that. They were planning on having an actual in-person retreat and that didn't happen because COVID happened. <laughs> so I think they put that on hold, but that Such was a great idea, part though. of their educational programming where you could, you know, access things online for little to know. And the Military Spouse Wellness Summit, the basic pass is free. So they made it so it's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And they've opened it up as well to um, first responder and uh, law enforcement families. So which is because they have their own unique. They Actually, they found out that there was a lot of overlapping struggles between the military families and law enforcement and first responder families. So they opened it up to everyone. Yeah. So, right. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get into your current nonprofit? <laughs> well, so Fast I was forward. doing graphic design and branding and that's what I had done because that's what independent really, um, I was able to do their graphics and branding and had other people asked me to do their branding. So I ended up doing that and I did it for a huge chunk of time. Um, and was involved with a couple other companies here um, and elsewhere on their branding and their social. But I kept getting this pull of, we're putting down roots here in Moore County. I'm seeing a lot of these historic or older buildings that are either getting torn down, things are happening to them that should not be happening to them. Um, And it didn't seem like there were the right protections being put in. So even though I had moved on to something that, else that original remember I started getting into historic buildings back when I was teeny teeny tiny and which is so fascinating like oh, were you I a mean, little kid just like in I put a dollhouse of- yes loved old buildings and loved construction so I, I put a <laughs> I had a dollhouse that my parents I kept bugging my parents Can we please put this together please it was like in a box like came flat in a box and it was sitting in my closet and someone I guess had given it to me at one point I would bug my parents Can we please put the dollhouse together please put it together Can we please put it together yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get around to it. Well, at one point I said, uh, guess what? I'm putting it together myself. I put that thing together using scotch tape. <laughs> I was, I, it was held together with scotch tape until my dad at one point was like, okay, let's get a glue gun or something. And mm-hmm. he put it back together. But I wanted, I wanted that building and I wanted that to put it together and to be part of like, I love Legos. I love like all those kind of things of putting things together and into create a building. So that's kind of where it all came from was I love old stuff. I love old history. And I do attribute a little bit of it to American girl dolls. So because Mm -hmm. Felicity, 
historic. We lived near Williamsburg. I mean, that all kind of fit. It was a perfect storm. Yeah. And then great timing and yeah. history for and you I to knew, be born. And you know. I knew what I wanted to do when I was applying to college. Like how many seniors yeah. do you know that are like, yes, I want to do this. No, I knew I wanted to work with old buildings. And so that's why I applied to the school I went to, I went to Mary Washington. And they have a historic preservation program for undergrad, which is pretty rare. Um, and so that that thread has always pulled me, no matter what. When we lived in Germany, historic buildings everywhere. Lived in New Orleans, historic buildings everywhere. Oh, yeah. So it just kind of kept feeding that. And then moving here, we have a huge amount of historic buildings in Moore County. But it shocked me that we did not have a historic preservation organization. Nothing that actually taught about preservation advocacy, taught about the construction of historic buildings, taught about how, how to, pr people who own historic buildings can actually maintain their buildings and be good stewards. Because it's one thing, as I said, with the whole romanticization of having an old building, it's scary once you get into it because you don't kind of know what you're doing and you don't feel like you maybe have support on what am I supposed to do now? I've got this building. Am I supposed to like strip all the paint? Am I supposed to yeah. like replace all the plaster? Am I supposed to paint the brick? Like you just don't know. And so having an organization to, to help guide both the property owners and the governments, we found really needed it. We needed that. So after I had my first daughter, I said, you know, this is what I want to spend. If I'm going to be spending time away from her, this is what I want to be spending my time away from her for. Had um, things happened in the community where you were like, oh my gosh, I cannot watch this any longer. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I would drive down May Street and another like post-war building was being torn down or, you know, there was a, one of the historic buildings in downtown Southern Pines. This was well, not that long ago. Um, right on Pennsylvania Avenue was, it was historic. It was like 1880 and they did a controlled burn on it. And right in downtown and it's still open, but you know, it's this, it's, I just was like, okay, how, how is this happening? What are the protections that do we even understand the protections? Do we even understand the way things are, are, are do we have an educated group of people making decisions regarding these structures? No. Because there's a reason <laughs> as someone with one, they focus on the wrong thing. Well, and the, the, what's, what's frustrating is, there's a reason. Okay. Yes. The military brought us here. A lot of us here. Yeah. We could have lived in other localities. There's a big reason why a lot of us moved to Moore County versus some other counties or, or municipalities in the area. And a lot of the reason that people move to Moore County is because of the historic communities, because essentially we have what Gilmore girls has and we have the real life version of it. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. a reason for that. There's actually proven, um, statistics and uh, understanding of why these b communities are successful. It's because they're walkable. They are incubators for small businesses. They are human in scale. They don't put their emphasis on cars. They put their emphasis on the people and they have buildings that are going to continue to last as long as they're maintained. Um, and so those kind of qualities are what we're trying to educate the communities, the municipalities, the people on why it's important to protect these structures and what tools are available to help the property owners and the governments protect the structures. So I got together with, um, I knew I would need people who are actually like in the construction industry mm -hmm. as supporters on this. So I got together with two fellow um, contractors who work a lot on historic buildings. And I said, this is, do you see this as a problem? Yes, they see it as a problem. Guys, what can we do to 
to try to address this. And so there was a lot of stuff thrown around, but what we ended up coming up with was having something where historic property owners were able to connect with the carpenters, craftsmen, contractors that have done work on historic properties or other um, historic, you know, whether it's a realtor or a um, inspector for your home, people who have experience with these buildings, connect them with the people who own them. So that's why we call it the Guild, Pines Preservation Guild, is because the Guild is a collection of people who are passionate about historic structures and preserving and rehabbing them. Um, so that's where the name came from. It has mesh, it has molded, moved around a little bit since then, where um, we now have our board is just a a real cornucopia of people. So we've got people in town government. Um, one of my, our co-founders is, um, a, a town manager for a town here in Moore County, which is really fun. Um, she was a, a clerk at the time and now has moved out to being a manager. And then we have people who are in finance. We have a realtor, we have, um, someone who grew up here is born and raised, but lives in West Virginia, but she is involved with the main street street program and is a fellow preservationist. Um, so we have a really cool group of people that are helping guide this program forward. And it has, has taken many iterations where it's not exactly what it was when we set out for it. But this time we are, we are a real trident. We're not a fiscally sponsored nonprofit. We are a legit nonprofit went through that whole process. And so now we are, you know, that, and we, we were founded right before COVID happened. So we had all this idea of having all these like in-person meetups and we started in February, 2020. Mm -hmm. And then all of this out, we had a whole plan. So as a result, we have actual education material that we did virtually mm -hmm. to take place of that. So now we have a library for our members, which is pretty cool. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So for our building, that's how I learned about your organization and everything. So our theater partners with other nonprofits for every show. And you walked in, I called you Melissa, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I was fine. like, Hey, Melissa. I think <laughs> It's fine. Like, My name is Leslie. I'm like, okay. good for you. There are so many people that don't correct people. I don't know why I thought her name was Melissa. <laughs> We've had that happen. And then like, three times into meeting somebody they'll be like that's not my name or like not during a podcast though right no no okay, no good. just like in normal life and then you're like oh my gosh i've been calling you this name the past three times <laughs> say something you know it's i think some people get awkward like oh no what do i say no and i wasn't embarrassed because i know how i am i was just like yeah that's melissa I, you know who i think melissa coleman she was actually on yeah. this I think you just have a lot of similarities, oh. like look like her and you're both really involved in the community. And so yeah. my mind was just like, oh, oh that's Melissa. Melissa. We're all the so, same. We're all the same. Whatever. All of us, all of us very active. We're exhausted, but we're all the, yeah. <laughs> we have the same. I'm exhausted. I have kids. I haven't slept. I'm running uh, that same face. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. We got the tired face. So, um, but anyway, so for every show, we like pick a nonprofit. Caitlin knows this because she's on the board. Um, but just telling people listening, we pick a nonprofit to partner with that kind of goes with the show. So like when we did um, the Hound of Baskervilles, we partnered with Caring Hearts for Canines, even though it's not an actual hound, but it kind of goes with the name. Um, and then the show we partnered with you guys was Fox on the Fairway. Yep. And since we're a golf community, we just figured what's something like aesthetically in the community, just trying to bring awareness because that's one of the biggest 
hardest challenges of running a nonprofit is getting your name out there and educating people on what you do and why they should be invested. It's, it's exhausting, but it's a huge part, um, is outreach and getting people to understand that because we've had people call me like, well, we didn't know you existed. And we're like, well, we're young. We're a young Mm -hmm. nonprofit. Um, we're technically doing work that should have been done 10, 15, 20 years ago, but we're doing it now. Um, but we really just try to be accessible to everyone. Um, and we try to partner, we try to get our name out. We really have some fun programming that we've done, which to try to kind of bring people in that maybe wouldn't have been interested in historic buildings or preservation. We did, um, we partnered with the Weymouth center on their last year they were doing, um, a hundred events because it was their hundredth anniversary. And so we partner with them to do the Boyd's bikes and brews, which was a bike tour through Weymouth Heights of all the Boyd houses. And just, it was really fun. And then we went back to, um, the carriage house and had beers from hatchet afterwards. And it was just, we had like fun koozies for everyone. It was, it was, we need to do it again. Um, but we do that. We do, uh, every May is historic preservation month. And so every May we release coloring sheets for kids of historic buildings in Moore County. So we try to get it so that kids, the education comes from, if you, if you get the kids interested, then the parents get interested. And we've actually partnered with my daughter's preschool where they, um, they are using some of those coloring sheets now to educate these three, four and five year olds. And it's really (laughs) cute. Um, but the teacher reached out and was like, can we please have these? Um, so I'm excited to see what she does with it, but um, yeah, I don't think necessarily they may not even know who you are, what mm-hmm. the organization is, but they may not even understand why it is important. Mm-hmm. And living here, we know why it's important, right? Like I want to preserve the historical, charming, quaint feel of our beautiful towns, Pinehurst mm-hmm. and Southern Pines. And of course, Cameron, although the other two are mm-hmm. much closer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think people really grasp the idea that it's kind of this thing that could completely go away if it's not actively looked at mm-hmm. with intention and somebody's doing something about it. Yeah. We, um, that was something that when we work with the town of Cameron to help them get their overlay district, because that's the only way really in the state of North Carolina that you can have any purview over historic buildings is having a local historic district, um, which is like the, the, the rules and the regulations. And when people are like, Oh, you can't paint your house a certain color. It's kind of, that's the, the hysterical aspect of some of these overlay districts, which is not something we promote. Um, but being able to have that overlay district gives the community the power to say, we care about our historic structures and we do care about what is going to go in their place if they're demolished or what's happening to the existing buildings um, and how they're maintained. Because again, you do sometimes get building owners that don't know how to properly maintain these historic buildings. For sure. I wouldn't know. Yeah. And so that's why there's guidelines that every historic, which you're familiar with, with the theater. I got an 86 page guideline. Those are the standards. You just know that. 86 pages. (laughs) Because I read them all. You should read it all. But we were, so our organization, we were talking earlier about Cameron and how small Cameron is. Cameron's like a 300 person town and they don't have the resources to hire some big yeah. consultant to do, but they're really, they were really worried about demolition and the, the, as we all know, very real demolition that just happened this past June. They were very worried about 
preserving their historic structures. And so we assisted them in doing an overlay district, which now they have a historic preservation commission that can then guide their property owners on how to properly maintain their structures. They can over, they can look over, um, new architecture for any new building that's going into that district. Um, in Southern Pines, you know, we, there was the hotel proposal that was going to possibly go in and required the demolition of two historic buildings. Our organization went in when the demolition permit um, was requested for one of the buildings. We went in and we were able to do some research and uh, provide to the Historic Preservation Commission evidence that the building was not just historic. It was actually the oldest historic building in the local historic district. And that demolition is should have been the very last option for the building. Um, and so the historic district commission was able to put on a 365 day delay and we were able to work with the property owner on an alternative and the building's still there has not, nothing's happened to it. Um, but so that's what we were, what our organization has been able to do tangibly. And we're getting ready to do the same thing that we did with Cameron with the overlay district, we um, were just brought in by the town of Carthage to do the exact same oh, thing for them. So they all have national districts, which are really great, but they don't have that, which, but those are purely honorary. They don't give anybody any protections. The local overlay districts give protections. So, so I have guesses as to what would happen socially and economically if these houses and buildings and everything are not preserved. Um, and I have a multifaceted question comment about it. Um, so my first is the price of some of them in this community is so expensive that it would turn, you know, your average people away that would want to do this to be able to do it. For instance, there's a house downtown Southern Pines that's for sale, but it's almost, I think it's, a, it might be zoned commercial. It's almost half a million dollars. One with the big ramp yeah, by the car, mm -hmm. I'm sure to think. By the um, car it's place on, on Broad. Mm -hmm. So when you come in from Midland around the little traffic circle, come in and it's on the right, right, right. there. It's like yellow, right? Mm -hmm. And it has the big ramp. A little overgrown at this point. Very overgrown, yeah. I'm trying to think about, oh, are you talking about the one at the corner of Maine and Broad? Is it Maine and Broad? No. No. It's right when you're first coming into Southern Pines, right before you get to the car dealership or the car mechanic shop. And all the others. I think um, Manly owns it or is, has it listed or something. So right well, if there. If I saw a picture, I would know exactly which one it is. I'm going to find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right there on the very end. But anyways, I was like, oh, man, I would love, you know, to get that. And it could be so many different things. But I saw the price of it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I I, I wouldn't be able. I wouldn't be able to afford it. And then all the unknowns that go into it. So in Southern Pines, the overlay district is really, really small. It's extremely small. So it's probably in the national district, not the local. And a lot of the, st the reasons why the properties are so, let me see. You have a picture. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Yeah. So that's the one that's at the corner of Maine. Okay. Yeah, it is that, Maine. Okay. That, um, there's a long story about that building. Long story. I'm not <laughs> oh. going to get into it today. Um, but Can yeah, there's give a us cliff notes. The cliff notes. <laughs> It was owned. Uh, there was a proposal that actually never made it to the planning board. Um, that is the CT Patch House. Um, there was actually another one right behind it that was bulldozed that was actually in better condition um, and was part of the last um, 
comprehensive land use plan that went that was passed not the most recent one but it was like on the cover it was like used in it in the old one and then it's been demolished since so it's like oh okay oh. um that was right behind it and that was a different story but this is the the patch house and there was a proposal for a large multi-use building for that it never made it to the planning department there was a whole thing about it the neighbors were really adverse to anything happening to that building um but it is the reason that it is in that uh, it is so expensive is the land is so yeah. expensive yeah. and that's because of downtown southern mm -hmm. pines so if we were to essentially get rid of let's say we got rid of the overlay district that building's not in the overlay district it's actually not even in the national register district it's really strange the way that it's cut um if you were to get rid of the entire overlay district, then like what happened with the hotel would have happened really without any overview or having to go before a board to say, yes, your architecture has to adhere to something that is character, um, adheres to the character of the district. Um, they could literally just build something that belongs in a cloverleaf. Right. Because essentially somebody that would really want to see that preserved, mm -hmm. you know, like me and I'm like, Oh, I could do this with it or I could mm -hmm. do that with it, even though I don't need to do anything else. Um, <laughs> but that's just how I think I have the same thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, have all these ideas of what I could do with it. I, I mean, I couldn't afford it. Are there programs that help people like that? Because the people that mm -hmm. can afford it are the investors that are going to go in and mm -hmm. tear it down and yep. build a, well, and that's why overlay districts are important because in this situation, they wouldn't be able to do just that. You can't, they can demo it, but whatever they build would have to be very specific to whatever the overlay and the standards. Those 86 pages of standards has a whole thing on new construction. Mm -hmm. So it would have to go by that. That, if that were to happen, doesn't have that because it's not within an overlay district. It's not, it's, can anybody could put whatever they want there as long as it's within the general um, uh, ordinances of southern pines so what yeah so that gives me like a little anxiety yeah <laughs> so if it was in a national district and it was contributing and a commercial you could get federal and state tax credits to do the rehab work and mm -hmm. that's what we really we actually have programming we did in september we did um uh our second we did two of them workshops on tax credits for historic properties to to that, yeah i'm wondering if it would help yeah, me at all. Absolutely. That you're building, you're talking about the, the theater building, right? Mm -hmm. So the theater building, any improvements that you're making, as long as they fall within the standards of the interior and you've got them pretty much with the 86 pages, that's what those 86 pages are built upon. They're just much more specific. Um, you should want anybody who lives within a national historic district and has a contributing structure. If you don't know, you can always reach out to us at the PPG at and we will let you know, whoops, mm -hmm. we will let you know whether or not your building is in the national district and whether it's contributing. It's publicly open access information. Um, you, if it's commercial structure, non, um, if, if it's income producing, so non-owner occupied, you can get access to um, 35% state, combined state and federal tax credits. If you are a, if it's a residential structure, you're, you have access to the 15% North Carolina state tax credits so no federal for if it's um, owned by if, if it's owner occupied but you get your state tax credits which is that's, that's helpful nice. extremely yeah. helpful extremely helpful and let's say like you need to do foundation work on your house as long as it's over i think it's thirty thousand dollars if your your project has to be over that amount in order to count thirty thousand dollars for basic for foundation work i mean you could do that like that i mean 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to so. do it in this this house. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this would not After be it was built. Oh my goodness. No, I'm just saying like, yeah, yeah I had to spend over that on, on exactly. a new house. So yeah. So that's, I mean, it's <laughs> for sure. But you having a home that's mm-hmm. contributing in a historic district, a national yeah. historic district gets you access to those really great tax benefits that most people don't even think about. It's actually not that hard to do, especially the homeowner ones. It's just through the state and the state. We have a really amazing state historic preservation office here in North Carolina. Yeah. And those, um, the people who work for it are just really super helpful. So yeah, I need to get the details of how to do that. And then I can, I can hook you up with Megan at the state <laughs> Justine, and be like, cause I'm going to oh, need yeah, some yeah. help, <laughs> help yeah. on that with my taxes and yeah. maybe back dating them. Some. <laughs> well, yeah. and what's neat is you can do the work as long as you have your, all of the, uh, I guess, documentation that of what was there before. I've, as long as you have that and you can file it with the state, it, it even after the work's done, as long as it goes by those um, standards. So, hmm. okay. yeah, so it can be retroactive essentially. Yeah. 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 And then you've got five years to take those tax credits. Oh. So if you don't owe as much as what you'd be getting back, you can take it and apply it to five years, which okay. is pretty neat. You can like break it up. Yeah. So. I'll need to look into that. Yeah, we pulled up all of the green carpet. <laughs> I don't know. I probably got all types of diseases. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. like I was wearing mask before it was before 2020, but pulled up all that nasty green carpet. And then the front dance studio that we mm-hmm. have has the old carriage floor yeah, under it. It's it so cool. adorable where that white carriage door is. And then upstairs, it was kind of creepy. We found like doll clothes nope. and stuff under nope, the carpet. Nope. And we were Ooh. like, Ooh. Don't close under the carpet. That's under so the weird. carpet, right? Yeah, they just like but whoever went and laid out. the carpet, like laid it on top, and I was like, mm. okay, that's yeah. creepy. Yeah, they're yeah. creepy things that you found in homes. Oh, I want to hear this. Yeah, this, but this the part. floors um, up are the wood floors for the apartment above it are mm-hmm. amazing because it's a funeral home. So the yep. what are they called? The morticians or whatever, and their yeah. families would live up there. And I think the name of the family was the Bell. Family, blue or, okay. blue or bell or something like that. So I was trying to get all the information on it and see who I'm supposed to call to find out the history behind it. But yeah, apparently that the generation is still in the area. So I believe it. especially if it's the blues, there's a lot of blues. I think it is blue. Oh, the blues. A lot of. I don't know. Who they especially are, in, but Aberdeen, I'm but yeah. Yeah. in Aberdeen, but yeah, yeah. So it's really neat to to see all of that and. Mm-hmm. Do, does anybody in the area do like historical tours like that? Like a walking historical? So there's historical one in downtown tour. Southern Pines, but it goes through the Moore County Historical, which they're really good for archival stuff there. If you want to know, see if, it, if there's any old pictures of your house, they're a great, great organization to go to for that. Um, we don't do any really archival stuff, but um, they do a walking tour of downtown Southern Pines. Um, and then on the rare occasion, I think there's one in Pinehurst, but it's not one that happens all the time so it's something that i think needs to be done more active more we've we've had some ideas about doing that but it would require partnering with other companies and so we're trying to work on that to make it happen fundraiser oh yeah i agree Mm -hmm. (laughs) i completely agree with you on that i love those i love like when Mm -hmm. we go to savannah we always do that type of stuff and it's just so fascinating well and the other thing is is you have people coming here to play golf a lot of times they bring their spouses with them yeah. who don't play golf and there's only so much, I mean, there's, there's shopping, but also if you're like me, you really are just coming to see 
the architecture. So <laughs> when I go down to, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Jekyll Island, which yeah. is, yeah, when I go there, I my husband will go play golf. They have mediocre golf, mm-hmm. but he'll go play golf there. And I am just like, give me all of the in-depth, behind-the-scenes, everything. Biltmore, I don't want to go on the basic tour. I want to go on the behind-the-scenes tour. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. the rooftop. Mm-hmm. The yeah, the, the rooftop tour. Rooftop. I think I got spoiled in school because we would go on all these like Monticello. I've been up in the rotunda. Like you go to all these different things, which nobody gets to get. Did you know that there's staircases at Monticello? Most people don't know that because there are, they're hidden in closets. Because oh. Thomas Jefferson hated staircases. He thought they were a waste of space. So oh. to get upstairs, you like open a door and it's this teeny tiny little staircase. How fancy yeah. of him. And so you go up and then there's this big, beautiful rotunda that, you know, nobody gets to go to. And it's, you get, you get very spoiled to see all of these old spaces, but we've got some really cool places here in Moore County too, that are kind of not really open to the public. Um, like we did the, um, we do building consultations. That's one of the services that the PPG does. We do a very stripped down version of it. And then myself personally, as a preservation consultant, do a much more in-depth one if needed. But we do um, kind of stripped down building consultations. And we did one for the town of Carthage before they sold the buggy building to Southern Pines Brewing. So I was able to go in there and kind of help the town understand the building. And then they just would give, essentially gave Southern Pines Brewing information on like hey these are the the character defining features of the building that sort of thing and then Micah could like take it and do whatever we want but it was really cool cool to be able to go in there before they did any of the work I haven't been in there after and I'm really excited to see what they've done because I've heard amazing things about what the interior is going to look like and I think um they just had like a meeting a few few, like last week where it was like a soft opening Mm -hmm. uh, where they just let community members come in Mm -hmm. and so that was really neat um so I hear, but I can't wait to go in there and see it. But. So my questions about like the social and economic implications of tearing down these old buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, my assumption is it would make property values go down um, and change the demographics mm-hmm. in the area. So it would make it so essentially what's the point of going down there? There's a golden egg. All of these downtowns that we have that are historic are golden eggs because of what is there right now is not able to be done because of current zoning regulations. So you can't have non-car focused buildings these days. You have to have minimum parking requirements. You have to have setback. You have to have all these things that you can't do. And that makes it so it's less of a pedestrian friendly situation. Um, I know somebody who was just trying to go through that to mm -hmm. put a new business here. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of their business, they have to have a certain number of parking spaces. And they're like, great, that narrows it down to like two spots that we could be at. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go up to Apex because we can't fit in down here. Yeah. And it's (laughs) and what's so frustrating is it's, you know, the minimum there is a movement nationwide to reduce minimum parking requirements because it just. It, in smaller downtown areas because it just doesn't it's not conducive to um to again the character of the the community so a lot of places are like okay well let's figure out if we could do something something that would be really beneficial to moore county is, would be something like a public transit where you could have these centralized parking locations and then you can take set, like public transit down into downtown Southern Pines, walk around, do everything you need to do. Same thing with Pinehurst, same thing with Aberdeen, same thing, hopefully with Carthage. Cause Carthage, there was a historic building that was torn down. Now it's a big parking lot right on the courthouse square. Yes. And it's just a parking lot. And because of that, like that 
destroys really the walkability of that downtown. They're really working hard to come up with a, a pedestrian plan now because they're just like, we need to encourage walkability downtown. And this did not help. The, the same people that approved the parking lot are now scrambling. Oh, to no, no. So the approval of the parking lot, that that stuff that like was kind of out of the town's hands. Oh. So because it was a lot through the county. So there's a lot of disconnect. Mm. And uh, I think the right things are moving in the right way to prevent stuff like that from happening again. So I went to a planning meeting for downtown Southern Pines and they were discussing a parking garage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that really looks like it would fit, fit in. in. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> very interesting. Um, I mean, part, they did a, a really good job with adding the parking and turning one way down to Illinois. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to solve a ton of parking issues without doing anything. And it just required a couple buckets of paint. And thankfully it coincided with the resurfacing. <laughs> they did it at the right time, but that's going to be really conducive, especially because they're really, I used to live right at the corner of Illinois and Bennett right near hatchet. And the longest time we were talking about, it just would make so much more sense if they made this one way, made it. And now it finally happened. So finally happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I'm nervous. Cause they want to buy my parking lot behind my building. Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm yeah. like, what if they, <laughs> cause people use it anyways, even though it says private parking and all yeah. of that, people are always in there and I don't want to just be standing out there like a grumpy old lady telling people <laughs> they can't park there. Um, and that's just also not realistic to stand yeah. out there and just be like, are you allowed to park here? Um, Is it check everyone's tags? Like inhibiting business? Um, no. Well, it makes it hard. Like if we have a show right. and then all the people that work at the restaurants mm -hmm. right around us, that's 10 to 15 cars yeah. immediately. And then our actors and then the parking lot's full. Mm -hmm. So anyone coming to see the show is finding street parking and walking quite a distance mm -hmm. to come when the whole reason, not the whole reason, but a large reason about the building was the parking mm -hmm. was right there too. Right. It's like the only place with a parking lot. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's the only place I think where we have like our own private parking yeah. lot other than hatchet brewing. And, um, so they want to buy it, but I'm like, man, what if they bought it? Cause it's enticing to sell it if people are using it anyways, but what if they put in a parking garage right behind there? But what's crazy to me is they made me take down my sign to make it one foot smaller on the front of my building. But the 86 page document says, <laughs> as long as it takes up less than 15% of the surface that is on your building. And I made it the same sign that the funeral home had previously. So they're like hmm. focused on these small little things and they're like oh well they must have been doctored into something if their sign was that size i was like i made mine the same hmm. size and even put it in the same spot because you can tell the brick mm -hmm. is stained <laughs> yeah differently from it and i put it in the same spot and they're like nope that's too large to go on hmm. this building and then like there's a company downtown and they told them they had to change their logo that the logo didn't fit in with the theme of the building and or the time period or whatever. And I'm like, well, neither does electricity. So, so I wonder they're so focused on the small things that I'm just like, that's why I always encourage anybody who's doing applications in historic districts, use those standards as your guide because they can't legally vary from them. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of those standards is they make it so that you can't be subjective if you're on the board. Mm -hmm. You cannot be subjective. You may 
totally hate what is being proposed. But if it falls within those standards, which were passed by a board and were approved by your town council, um, that uh, use those because they can't vary from that. Mm-hmm. And if they do, then they're being subjective and that's not the whole point. So no. you do get some people on commissions who think that they know all the things and they don't. So, <laughs> well, and I kind of um, wanted a little marquee mm-hmm. looking thing mm-hmm. with the backlighting. That's what yeah, I had mm-hmm. ordered Okay, because it's a theater. Yeah. And they were like, no backlighting isn't in the time period of your building. And I'm like, but neither was, were lights. <laughs> it didn't I'm trying even to remember when your building was built. I don't know. I do think, I think it was in like the thirties or forties. I don't think it's as old as everything else. No, I was told it was one of the oldest buildings downtown Southern Pines. So yeah, mm, let me know. Really now, curious. The, the right side, the one that looks like a house, mm-hmm. that part is the oldest. Okay. Yeah. I was talking about the main, like the, the other side where the theater is mm-hmm. was built in the seventies. Okay. But the it. main building. Okay is yeah well before that so when you can look all of this stuff up on the the, um the national register district has every uh, building that's in the national district there's like 600 in southern pines but it has just a basic generic description of your building plus a time a date that it was built which is really cool and it's access accessible to everyone which is really neat you can go online you can just do like southern pines historic district and it will pop up or the wikipedia sometimes will have the link to the national cool. register district nomination. And you can like type in, find your address and you'll, it'll pop up. There's also a really cool tool called HPO web that the state historic preservation office has. And it's a big GIS map that you pull up on your website, on your, on your computer, you could type in your address and it'll tell you right there on the spot, whether your building is within a national district, whether it's in a local district, and then it'll have links to both the national register nomination or any other accompanying documents. So it's super handy. It's it's amazing that that is something that North Carolina has because yeah. Virginia does not have it and Virginia's a, they have it but it's internal. Mm. They don't make it accessible to the public, yeah. which is infuriating. Mm. But here in North Carolina, they make it accessible to the public, which is really neat. So yeah. Awesome. So what are kind of the upcoming goals and plans for the organization? What are you guys looking to do? So this, we are in the middle of our end of the year giving sort of thing, which is just what we really push for is getting people to understand that the work we're doing needs support. Um, we're all volunteers, but still we are using a lot of our um, our, our sweat equity, if you will, um, to pay for this stuff. Um, and so that's really what we want people. We want people to also understand the work that we've done throughout the year. So we've done work with Kennelwood, which was a historic building in Pine Wilds that we were literally, Kara actually was the one who let us know about it. Um, it was a log cabin in Pine Wild, um, that was associated with the family that established the Sandhills Women's Exchange. And it was slated for demolition. And we were let known about it about what I would say 30 days before the set demolition date. So we were able to actively advocate for alternatives to full demolition on it. We were able to go and we were trying to move the building. It would have cost, you know, $50,000 to do that. Nobody's got $50,000 laying around. So we created something called, um, well, we we then moved on from and, and getting it out of Pinewell would have been not easy. So we moved from it being a, moving operation to a salvage operation and we were able to get some of the um 
some of the logs we were able to get over to the Bryant House, which is owned by the Moore County Historical um, Society. So we were able to get that to them, and then we were able to salvage a lot of the fixtures. One of our contractor members, professional members, was able to go in and get some of the plumbing fixtures, um, a bunch of windows, and some of the um, the cabinetry, which the cabinetry is now going into a 1920s house oh, cool. um, for their rehab. And so it's very neat that uh, while the, ho- the house was demolished, that we were able to salvage some pieces of it, um, and we were able to tell the story of the house, which is really neat. But... So we're not in a situation like that again. We established something called the um, uh, the emergency rescue fund. So essentially, it is um, it's our endangered heritage fund. So any building that comes to us that we find out about that needs stabilization, like emergency less than sixty day stabilization, um, anything that uh, a building that might need to be moved, um, we have some a pot of money that we can use to go towards that and it's kind of revolving. So that's what we are also raising funds for as well is our endangered heritage fund. Um, and so that's what we're doing throughout the beginning of this, the end of this year. And then next year we're going to go back into doing some more of our educational programming, continuing with our, um, series that we have in conjunction with Ashton's where we have like two or three throughout the year, um, just really specified, um, professional, um, educational, series. So we did one on like Donald Ross last year. We did one on the schools of the sand hills. We're going to go ahead and do some more next year, more based on, um, preservation professionals and the work that they've done on historic buildings. Um, so that's our programming for next year. We have our, um, our preservation month programming, which we'll be announcing as we get closer to that. Um, but that's really what we're, we're kind of focusing on throughout the end of the year and our memberships are something that really help us, um, with kind of an ongoing support. So we do offer professional and residential memberships that just people can get access to reduced um, ticket prices to any of our events that we do. They also get um, reduced cost for the building consultations. Um, and then they also get access to our library of educational information and um and that sort of thing on our website. So, and then professional members get listed on our website as professional in our professional directory. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking there's so many businesses that are in historical buildings. It would be Mm -hmm. so cool to do like a foodie tour mixed Mm -hmm. with a historical tour Yeah, where you go eat at Ashton's and then you learn about the building or something like that. Yep. You guys got to link up. I know. Well, and, and <laughs> Ashley's always been a really great supporter of ours. So we, yeah. we have a great relationship with her and we kind of tend to do that with a little bit of our um, programming for them. But we are up for, if you are a business owner in Moore County that has a historic building or wants to do something like that with programming, please reach out to us because we'd love to shine a light on the history of your building um, and kind of highlight your business to our members. And then we also, again, you know, just want to give out as much education as possible regarding how to preserve your historic building Mm -hmm. and be a steward. What do you call it again? You guys mentioned my building is something, um, when you preserve it, but like turn it into something. It's adaptive reuse. We love adaptive reuse. Adaptive reuse. So what it is, is it takes a building 
that, and that's the majority of our downtown buildings are adaptively reused because, um, you know, like there's a funeral home in downtown. It's not going to be, that wasn't needed there anymore. So now it is a theater and it was able to be converted into that. Um, you also see the Sunrise Theater is an adaptive reuse because that actually was never built to be a theater. It was built to be a hardware store. And oh, so, yeah, it mm-hmm. became a theater later. And so it is an adaptive reuse. Um, it's, it's really neat. You see a lot of houses that are turned into restaurants. Those are adaptive reuse options as well, which is really neat. And we love the, I mean, the buggy building that is going to be a brewery that is an adaptive reuse. And it is a a great way to bring character to a, a, a property owner and their business while preserving history and making sure that whatever's character defining is still being preserved, but bringing a new life to the building. And we love seeing that. So it's, and it's really creative too. We love seeing people be creative with these buildings and it's really easy to walk into a building. So it's too far gone. I'm going to tear it down or it doesn't fit what I think, what I think I need. We're actually, if a little creativity is thrown Mm -hmm. in there, you're not only will have a cool building but you'll have a successful business because of that building is going to be bringing people in because they want to see the in- everybody wants to see the inside of these buildings yeah everybody so though any way you can bring that in we say good job ours yes. is a little weird people will come see a show and they'll be like last time i was here was for so-and-so's funeral <laughs> and i'm like well hopefully this time will be better i know <laughs> it's oh, another, very awkward. another fun adaptive reuse is um od's was the old fire station oh i didn't know that oh. yeah wow yeah so like a long time sense. ago. But yeah, yeah, that was an old fire station. Pinehurst, the theater building, was a theater. It's not mm-hmm. a theater anymore. Um, I looked at that building. I wanted it so bad. The print, yeah. or the, no, not Pinehurst Theater building, the Princess Theater. Oh, the Princess Theater. Downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yep. an adaptive reuse because it's not going to be a theater anymore. Yeah. What's well, like, do we know what it's going to be? I think it's just going to have two offices. It's going to be shops. Shops. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Like subleased out, but it had the high, high back ceiling so that we could do a fly rail. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I would love it. And the floor went down because it used to be a movie theater. Yeah. Uh, with a pit orchestra orchestra. so So like live music going with the movies and so it would have been perfect for us but i mean it was a dirt floor there was no plumbing i know low electrical and then they ripped out the beautiful ceiling i was like not Mm. the ceiling because it was (laughs) was a tin gorgeous yeah Yeah, it was a tin ceiling with all the design and everything and i saw them i walked by one day and saw it just in this big pile on the floor and i was like that's so sad i was hoping they'd reuse it in there but i know but yeah there's there's some interesting um opportunities for adaptive reuse especially as more county grows and that's kind of what we try to express to people is there's growth is going to happen here and it is happening here but how can we do it so it's going to take the buildings that are already existing and let's work with them. Let's mm-hmm. not tear them down because you're literally getting rid of what is bringing people here. Yeah. So let's find creative solutions to these, to these, they're not problems, but to these buildings and you wanting to, and, and growth wanting to come in. Mm-hmm. So does it yeah. like kick you in the gut when you drive by and see all these trees torn down and all these big commercial buildings go up? It does I, me. I, it hurts my heart because I grew up in Virginia beach. This is, what happened there and it's uh it was all horse country at one point and now it is just strip mall after strip mall and then my mom grew up on long island which was the other situation which was all horse farms Mm. and now it is just the not that so again if we do it in a sustainable 
a mindful way. Yeah. And that's what's important is let's make it so that we can, we are allowing these, this growth to happen, but we're not allowing it to happen in the areas where that need to be preserved and that are historic centers. But the only way that we really can do that is if we know the tools that have been given to us by the general assembly in North Carolina, (laughs) because you're, you're, uh, town council can sit there and say, oh, preservation, preservation, preservation. But if they don't understand the tools that they are or are not given by the General Assembly in Raleigh, those words are, are meaningless. So that's one of those things where we don't have the public petition anymore. That was something that was a- available starting in 1925, but then was revoked a few years ago. Um, that's not a tool that can be used anymore. Um, the mm-hmm. only tools we really have when we want to bring concerns regarding possible um, new developments and whatnot are what are being able to speak up at um, our planning boards. But then the planning boards, they only make recommendations. They can say, no, we don't want this. And then it goes to the town council and town council says, well, actually we want this. And then they vote it through. Right. And then those are, there's a lot I've learned. Multifaceted. Well, Mm -hmm. here's the thing is I have learned so much about local government. I was going to ask about that. I don't have any background in local government. I do not like politics. I have a lot of politicians in my family and have always vowed (laughs) stay out of politics because it is just, it's messy. But I've had to become really involved in local government because that's how this stuff happens. Yeah. And you can sit there and say all these things that you want, but if it's not done in a way that's within the way things have been developed, like have been created and set up, then you're just going to be squawking over here and people are going to ignore you. Mm -hmm. You have to understand how the structure has been created. And that's been a real learning curve from someone who's just, you know, design and construction minded it's been, it's been a learning curve, but it's been, it's been interesting. And it's been that that's why I've learned a lot being on the Southern Pines historic district commission. I've learned a lot being on that, the now Aberdeen historic preservation commission, um, because that's local government happening at the volunteer level. Um, but you know, we can only do what the general assembly lets us do. So, Mm. yeah. So I want to go back to the possible creepy things that you found in houses. Um, (laughs) I found a lot. I know of, that's a terrible segue. No, no. I found a lot of like animal bones. Like, let's be honest. Like, there's a lot of gross animal bones that like you find where in the walls. In the walls. Oh, okay. Like, not like, like maybe my rats, house, but like, like, like rats. Yeah, like styles. rats, okay. bats, squirrels, raccoons. Okay. Um, so I used to work at. Uh, it was George Washington's sister's house. Uh, in it's called Kenmore, and it's in. Uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's and so we cool. did a lot of work with the, um, with like the plaster and you would just find hair, horse hair. You'd find <laughs> because that's what they would make the plaster out of. So you get that mm. kind of stuff. I found, um, I've got some plaster issues. I have questions later. <laughs> Once we're done we can recording. talk about, we can talk about it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've found, newspapers which is always fun because you're like oh it's been dated from that time Um, the house we're in now our wonderful realtor actually found a a bunch of um pictures that were like shoved in a in a closet and it's just pictures of the owner like goofing around with his friends so that's kind of like a fun little like side view because i've been in contact with our the owner's daughter and she's like, oh, no, we have no pictures of the house. And I was like, how do you not have any pictures of the house you grew up in? Like, I don't understand that. But um, we found these kind of in the 
in like a, a shelf, but they're not of the house. They're just of the, the, of JC Robbins. Um, I've found lots of shoes, oh. which is always creepy. Um, I haven't ha- found anything like, like really super baby dolls, like ceramic dolls. Well, I've found, at okay, you. no, I've seen <laughs> when I've been in attics. So I generally do not like going into attics. I'm actually terrified of heights and attics for some reason, like mentally get to me basement. I'll go in a basement all day long. I found snakes. I found all these like nasty things. When I, um, before I, when I was in, um, uh, undergrad, we, there's a, if you, anybody's been to Kerala in Outer Banks, anybody been there? Okay. I haven't. There's a place called the Whalehead Club, which is this gorgeous 1920s French Chateau-esque building mm. that was purchased by the local municipality and they rehabbed it and it's beautiful. And I actually ended up, uh, it, it really sparked a lot of my um, interest in historic properties when I was really little in addition to everything else I talked about. But this building, we were able to go in the basement before it was rehabbed, and it was a mess. It had been open to the public. It was a school for boys at one point. Mm. It was um, owned by the um, U.S. Coast Guard. They did rocket testing at it, like, after World War II. Mm. It was it has a phenomenal history because it was, it was built by this, like, meat magnate out of – oh, no, he's a steel, steel guy out of Pittsburgh – Anywho, we go down in the basement and it's all these chalkboards all over the place and it literally looks like somebody just picked up and left. But there was a bunch of snake like skins and there were rats, like rats nests really. Um, There was the, it obviously had recently flooded so we had some like just gross stuff in there. But but it was neat because you got to see like the chalkboards were still on the wall. There were books still in corners. Mm. Um, the old desks were there. And so that was really neat to be able to see. Um, but I haven't seen anything like really unsettling. I've been in an attic once where there was a lot of like baby carriages mm-hmm. and stuff, which was a little weird, but I don't, I'm not one of those people that's like, Oh, haunted houses is bad. Mm-hmm. I actually, I just consider I think that they, if there are ghosts, I don't think they care that I'm there because they know I like the house and the yeah. building and I'm there to help. And So you've never had any like weird mm-hmm. experiences like never, that? Never, never. I, I consider maybe they know I'm a friendly person. But, <laughs> if um, they're there, they know they're your there, happy intentions. I, somebody will be like, oh, I bet you it's haunted. I'm like, yeah, it probably is. Anywho, let's move on. Like, let's yeah. talk about the Who structure cares? of the building. Like, you know, that sort of thing. So we, When we moved into our building, my staff was like, I heard the ghost and da 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 and like... Is there was, a supposed ghost? That's so there? anyways, I was like, well, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's look into this. And so the contractor goes, um, yeah, there were raccoons up in the attic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. I believe it's it. just like a simple explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people still believe that there are some, but they're nice if they are. Yeah. <laughs> just, I find I myself at times, that. I find myself at times talking to, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but this is what you do. Um, cause I mentioned Jean or the, one of the owners of the house passed away in mm-hmm. our house. I'll talk to her sometimes. She's mm-hmm. like, Jean, tell me, what were you doing with this? Like why, why was there carpet in the bathroom, Jean? Like, yeah. please tell me. Yeah. Why is there vitrolite? Why did you choose this random stuff in here? Like why, mm-hmm. why did you make this design decision, Jean? <laughs> So yeah, well, she never talks back to me. But. Looking through the lens of like the house, like you said, mm-hmm. and putting like your personal mm-hmm. likes, whatever aside mm-hmm. and coming at it like from the home's perspective. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, that was part of the home. Yeah. Her. Yeah. It, yep. It is. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not Jean, so I'm not going to do exactly what she wants, but that's fine by me. Yeah. But, um, 
But yeah, it's it's an adventure. And it, I think it's important too that to walk the walk and talk the talk. So sure. making sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm not going to tell somebody to do something with their home and then me turn around and do it differently with my house. No, it's, it's important. Like I'm telling people or our organizations telling people to do things to their home that we all would be doing. We, half of our board live in historic homes. Like we're doing sure, stuff. It's part that, of who you guys it's are. Part, it's part of who we are. And so in our opinion and what we're going as an organization, we're not going to be doing stuff we're not gonna be telling you to do something that we wouldn't be doing ourselves. So we want preservation to be accessible. We really want people to feel excited and um, to love being the stewards of their homes. It's just sometimes they need the tools to make that, make those decisions. I have one person, a friend of ours who's told us she was a, a, a residential member of the organization. She's PCS, but they were rehabbing a home in downtown Southern Pines. And she told me at one point, she said, I could not have done this without your organization there to help guide me on just making some of these decisions. Um, and having other members there to really bounce ideas off of and bounce things off of. And Hey, am I making sure I'm going the right way to get these tax credits? Or am I doing the right thing when it comes to rehab? Like who can I contact about rehabbing my windows? I love them. And it's like, we have people, we're really, trying to make it accessible we're really trying to make it fun we want people because we want people who have moved here to understand why they're moving here and the people who have lived here forever to kind of fall back in love with where the community that they're from because of these structures it's not really about the buildings it's about the communities that these buildings embody and the history and just the irreplaceable materials that they're made out of that you just can't get anywhere else but they're they're part of the moore county story so yeah. Mm, yep. It's definitely awesome. about the whole experience. Yep. I'm so glad that you came and explained that because <laughs> um, I can fully like on paper reading the website, I'm like, yeah, I'm totally behind this. But to hear you talk about why it's mm -hmm. so important and to also know the way I feel when I am downtown and I'm walking around, it's a whole experience of just this charm and stuff you don't get anywhere else, you know, growing up in San Diego, I didn't get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I don't think you feel it unless you have a spot like that to know mm -hmm. why it's so important. So and thank you. And you kind of can't replicate it. That's the other right. thing is like, because of the ways rule, like modern zoning is we can't replicate these buildings yeah. and this, com these communities. So, you know, you see it, you see so many of these like modern developments tried to create these downtowns that they, you don't get the same vibe from mm -hmm. because they can't do what these historic communities are able to do yeah. so yeah yeah I love driving um to the beach and I drive through Chadbourne mm -hmm. oh I haven't been there and Chadbourne. I just wish somebody would preserve it all like it's just all vacant it's kind of like downtown Rayford yep. too like it's just they just There's let a it few go places like that on the way to the beach yeah depending on what route you go once, <laughs> once tobacco so those communities were all based on tobacco industries mm. and once those industries it's kind of a lot like the North Carolina's Rust Belt so you think mm -hmm. of the Rust Belt up in New York and Pennsylvania all those you know Erie Buffalo Rochester a lot of those areas they kind of went through a massive depression area because they're was no, all the factories closed. Then mm -hmm. all the, after NAFTA, all of the uh, manufacturing moved out of the United States pretty much. And so those communities dried up and there was no economy. A lot of that happened. Something very similar happened in Eastern North Carolina when the cigarette industry and the tobacco industry dried up 
that's what all of those communities were built off of. All these amazing, gorgeous, stunning homes mm-hmm. because a lot of them were through the transportation that was built to transport the, the tobacco out and through just tobacco in general. So sadly, you know, unless there's a different, I know Kinston has kind of tried to do this where they were a tobacco pork industry that dried up and then through some adaptive reuse that was done and then a very famous PBS TV series, they were able to bring a lot of, um, uh, a con- economic back there you've got mother earth brewing there now um you've got a couple other things that are going on there and it's all because of a, they had to adaptive mm-hmm. adapt the industries there but you kind of can't emulate it everywhere but that's a lot of eastern north carolina is because those industries right up and they don't have another way to reinvent themselves that's right you have to draw in people mm-hmm. right to yeah. move there that could sustain the businesses you want to put mm-hmm. in there kind of uh, one of them, Rose, Roseland or something mm-hmm. like that. And I'm 99% sure that's what Shit's Creek is based off it's of. Roland. Roland. Except when we drive by, we say Roland. Okay. It's Ro- Wait, where's that? <laughs> Roland. But was it the Rose Hotel or something? Yeah. Rosebud Hotel. Rose- that's Shit's yeah. Creek. Shit's yeah, Shit's Creek. Creek. But all throughout that town, there's names. And remember, the mayor in Shit's Creek is Roland. Yes. Yeah. But all throughout that town, when you drive through it, it's stuff that you'll see from shit's Creek. Oh, how funny. But oh you know, if you think about it, that guy went and tried to open an apothecary yes. store, but it's like if right. the community Rose's apothecary. Yeah. If the community <laughs> isn't into that, then it's not going to be sustainable. So. Sure. Or the economy in mm-hmm. that community is not into that. Right. Oftentimes yeah. when all the commerce goes out, you are left with a, you know, socioeconomic class that is barely making it by. Mm-hmm. They're not going into the apo- apothecary. Right. They're yeah. <laughs> trying to, get food on their table exactly yeah you know? so how do you transform the whole community like everybody would have to be invested in it mm-hmm. and real well then you end up yeah. with like the food deserts we were talking about like yeah it's it's Ugh. a problem we need an economist to come tell us how to we do, do. That. and yes. i am not an economist no. <laughs> no. <laughs> i would love to hear from one on that though yeah so yeah, well thank you for being here uh, thank you for having me fascinating and i really appreciate the mission and I don't think it gets enough attention. Thank I think you. we I appreciate it. we enjoy the um, what you deliver, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know why it's happening. You know, we're just like we love where we live. This is great, mm-hmm. but we don't know all the behind the scenes work that makes it happen. Special places do not happen by accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like well, them. tell everybody the website and social media where to find you. Yeah. So it's the Pines Preservation Guild and we are www.pinespreservation.org or on Instagram at the Pines Preservation Guild. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me, guys. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.